0: This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Rita Jablonski here. Thank you for listening and for your continued support. I've had a brutal couple of weeks with many challenges that all happened at the same time, just like you may be having right now. I get it and I understand. These challenges knocked me off my podcast schedule. I'm sorry for my absence. I'm back. This podcast means a lot to me. And I do get upset when I miss a week or two, and in this case, three. In the, I guess, 14, 15 months I've been doing this, this is the first time I've had this much of a hiatus. So I know there are people who look forward to these episodes, and I feel like I'm letting you down when I don't drop an episode. So here I am, back in the saddle. For today, I want to talk about a common theme that has been showing up in the various places where I work with caregivers of people living with dementia. I hosted my monthly free webinar last Monday evening, and one of the participants talked about the struggle of caring for a family member with behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia, behavioral variant FTD. That individual shared how... His family member is no longer showing care and love to others. The caregiver shared how this person living with dementia no longer reciprocated. The spouse put together a lovely anniversary celebration and the individual with behavioral variant FDD did nothing in return, didn't even acknowledge all the effort that the spouse put in for this anniversary celebration. And the spouse was absolutely devastated. I explained that there are parts of the brain that help us to feel socially connected to others. There are specific regions of the brain that tell us how to behave with family members and friends. Those regions contain everything we learned about manners, about physical space and boundaries. About appropriate and inappropriate behavior. Parts of the brain that tell us to say thank you and to engage in social transactions are what fuels our behavior. Social reciprocity is the exchange of words and actions that occur in relationships. It's that give and take. For example, I may send a funny card to a friend who needs encouragement, or one of my friends may take me out to dinner and give me the space I need to talk about a situation that is causing me pain. Last week, I accepted an invitation to meet a colleague for lunch because she is caring for her mother who has dementia, and she needed key information and help. These are all examples of social reciprocity. Our emotions, including empathy, the ability to imagine what and how others are feeling, come from the brain, not the heart, even though in popular literature and and cards, we always associate the heart with love and emotion. Early in behavioral variant. Frontotemporal dementia, those important parts of the brain that promote empathy and social reciprocity go offline. They're damaged. But unlike other dementias, the loss of memory and loss of ability to do things happens much later in behavioral variant FTD. And that is what I think causes so much pain and suffering. By the caregivers, the person is retaining all of the usual stuff that people living with dementia lose in the very beginning. Because with FTD, you're losing the part of the brain that supports personality and engagement with others. If you are caring for a person living with behavioral variant FTD, you will need to change your expectations of their behavior. They are not willingly doing these hurtful behaviors. This is difficult to do, especially for spouses and children of the person living with dementia. The lack of empathy, the lack of social reciprocity, all of that feels so painful, especially when you had a great relationship with the person prior to the dementia showing up. But here is the issue with dementia, with all of the dementias. You are the one who has to change, who has to adapt. The person living with dementia cannot. They don't have a choice. Their behavior is being hijacked by the brain damage caused by the dementia. In fact, if you are dealing with this very behavior, keep repeating to yourself. My loved one does not have a choice. Their behavior is being hijacked by the brain damage caused by the dementia. Feeling disconnected occurs with the other dementias too. A person left a comment on one of my social media posts about how she has stopped talking with her husband because he constantly argues with her. He tells her, that she said things that she didn't, or he forgets things that she told him. If this is your situation, you do not have to stop communication with your family member living with dementia. You shorten the sentences and make the sentences simpler in structure. For example, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you are driving while listening to this podcast, don't do it. But if you're just hanging out or if you're walking the dog, it's going to be a little difficult, but just bear with me. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Before pointing to the door, point to the ceiling. I was teaching a group of dental residents about dementia, and I asked them to do this in the middle of the lecture. About half the class did it. The other half looked confused. I I think the half that looked confused may not have been totally paying attention, and perhaps wasn't sure what they heard. My direction is an example of a complicated sentence structure. And those complicated sentence structures don't do well when you're talking with someone who has a a memory problem. I should have said, point to the ceiling, then point to the door. That would have been more direct. Early in the dementia journey, You will make your sentences more direct and with simpler structures. Also, answer the repeated questions as if you are hearing them for the first time. Because, according to the person living with dementia, you are. They forgot that they've asked you this. And when you respond with anger or impatience, it blindsides them because it comes out of the blue. They don't recall the other interactions. So it feels like you're insulting them or you're getting angry at them, and your anger towards them feels unjustified. Now, you can use calendars and written notes and big clocks to help with frequent questions about date and time. If there is a specific question that is asked frequently and it's getting on your nerves, write down the response and keep it near the person living with dementia. I had a family member who confided in me that she hated Taking her dad to the doctor's appointment because it was a 30-minute drive. And he would ask every five minutes or even sooner, where are we going? Where are we going? And she would say, We're going to the doctor's. And he'd say, Oh, okay. And then he'd ask again, where are we going? So I suggested she take a piece of paper and write, We are going to the doctor off the doctor's office. And she even wrote the name of the clinician they were seeing. And every time he would ask, she would say, "Look at your paper." I wrote it down. Look at your paper, and this way she wasn't having to come up with the response. And even though she was still responding, "Look at the paper," he had something he could look at. And it got to the point where, as soon as he would ask the question, he would look at the paper and read it, because reading tends to be an overlearned skill that, for most dementias, the ability to read and comprehend remain intact even in the moderate stage. As the dementia becomes worse, your sentences will become shorter, especially when helping your family member with activities. You will use short, respectful, one-step commands. You will add gestures and pantomimes to your communication toolbox as well. I'm gonna take a quick break and when I come back, I'm going to give you a strategy for stopping the arguments that can work across all of the dementias. So come on back. So getting back to the arguments, one strategy that can diffuse argumentative behavior by a person living with dementia is to apologize. I know you didn't do anything wrong, but it is an easy way to acknowledge the person living with dementia Acknowledge their concern and sidestepping the argument minefield. For example, you are taking your dad to the doctor. You tell him he needs to get dressed because he has a doctor's appointment. It is circled on the calendar that is taped to the fridge. You put poster notes on all the bathroom mirrors. Yet, he still tells you, what doctor's appointment you never told me when you show up. If you tell him that you did and he has no memory of it, you're going to wind up in a big argument. You're going to say, but dad, I told you, he's going to say, no, you didn't. You're going to point to the post-it notes. You're going to point to the calendar. He's going to be confused. You both are going to get upset. Your dad may even decide that he is not going to the doctor's appointment as well. This is a lose event. Here's where apologizing gets you both on track. You respond to your father, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. You have a doctor's appointment today. Your father is going to be stressed by this information and will need a little extra help to get ready. You can then be proactive and ask him to choose between two shirts. Here's your script. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. Do you want to wear the blue shirt or the yellow one? This way you are gently pushing him in the direction of getting ready without telling him, dad, go get ready. I know there is a great deal written about the physical aspects of caregiving. I don't think there is enough recognition about the emotional drain of caring for a person living with dementia. I hear family members say that they don't feel like the person living with dementia appreciates all that they do. Some people living with dementia do appreciate your help. I hear it in the office when a person living with dementia will turn to their sibling, adult child, or spouse and tell me that this person is doing a great job helping them. Many do not because they don't realize that they need help. Their memory loss, their confusion does not allow them to remember everything that you do. This is another blow to the caregiver because we need to feel appreciated and valued. I know that you are busting your butt. I know that you have given up important things to remain as a caregiver. I'm going to shift a little bit and talk about the importance of mental health. Caring for your mental health is just as important as caring for your physical health. Depression affects many caregivers. In fact, in a lot of research studies, some of the outcomes will be a reduction in depressive feelings. Depression is not always feeling sad or blue. Depression can show up as irritability, anger, and difficulty getting things done. Depression can show up as binge eating or binge drinking. Depression can show up as unwise shopping sprees. Depression is painful. Certain actions can temporarily lessen the pain, but the pain comes back. It is not weakness to seek help from a mental health practitioner, a therapist, a licensed clinical social worker, a psych nurse practitioner, a pastor. If you do engage a therapist and don't feel like they're helping you tell them and find someone else. I am guilty of not changing therapists. I stayed with one for almost five years and realized it was not a good fit. I felt constrained by my insurance, but in retrospect, I could have found someone who, who was a better fit and who took my insurance. It is worth the effort to find someone who was a good fit for you. When caring for a person living with dementia, not only do you experience a lot of the disconnect, but you also experience a slow grieving process. You daily grieve the loss of the person and the relationship you once had. Mental health practitioners can be highly effective in helping you to recognize what you are feeling and to give you tools to process this grief. Some caregivers struggle with guilt. They feel guilty for wanting to no longer be a caregiver. They feel guilty thinking about placement. Depression and guilt can become destructive to you and your mental health. In addition to seeking a mental health practitioner, engaging in physical exercise, especially outdoor exercise, can help energize and lift your mood. A walk with my dog makes both of us happy. Prayers, spiritual activities, and meditation are also good ways to balance out the stress from caregiving. And a word about balance. When I ride my horse, I make micro adjustments throughout the ride. I make sure that my hands follow the rhythm of Zydeco's head, which moves in different ways depending on how fast or slow we are going. I constantly adjust my backside in the saddle To shift my weight to balance with Zydeco and I do probably 30 or 40 small movements that happen automatically. These adjustments were learned and developed from years and thousands of hours in the saddle. I continue to work on them every time I ride. About two months ago I was taking Zydeco over some jumps and I did not have enough tension in the reins. In riding we call this contact. I made the reins too loose and Zydeco lost his balance because he was counting on me as a counterweight to balance him after he landed from a jump. I screwed up and Zydeco, luckily on his front knees, and he did not roll. He got up and kept trotting. He scraped up his knees, but they're healed now. This is a great analogy for balance in our lives. It is a constant dance of adjustments to our daily situations. Some days are better than others, and that is okay. You don't get prizes or extra points for perfection. There is no such thing as perfect self-care, just there is no such thing as perfect caregiving. I know I went over a lot of topics today, but I think it's really important to acknowledge when you feel that disconnection from your loved one living with dementia and you know where it's coming from. And it, it's not about you. It's not anything you did or didn't do. I think it's important to recognize the changes in the relationship and to realize that if someone living with dementia doesn't think they need help, they have that anosognosia I've mentioned in previous episodes, They have no insight into what they truly need. They don't comprehend what they can and cannot do. That's self-monitoring. Most of us have a pretty good idea of what we want to do and what we can do. But in dementia, that self-monitoring fades away. So waiting to hear appreciation or see appreciation from your family member, that may not come. And it's not because they don't appreciate you, they don't comprehend or get what you are doing for them. It's the disease. Yes. And the disease sucks. And finally, all of these emotions and struggles that you are going through can negatively affect your mental health. And just like you would go to the chiropractor and get your back adjusted so it doesn't hurt, it is okay to see someone for your mental health. It's very important. Okay everyone, that's it for today's podcast and together let's keep making dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your B, or email me info at makedementiayourbitch.com.